but you know why I'm here and why would I do what I do. I live just north of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, my husband and I have eight children and six grandchildren. And in 1995, I was a patient in a mental hospital. So welcome to the afternoon. So that's my story, and I hope you won't think I'm too flip about mental illness, but if you do, I would say, that's my story, that's how I share it, and that's the story that brings me to you today. So welcome, friends, to Consider Yourself Hugged, episode 43. Today's hug, dealing with loss, abandonment, and rejection with Aaron Jones. I am Dr. Tammy West here every week to bring you tips on living a life that brings you mental and emotional well-being. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I really, really did. The time with kids and their friends, and as you maybe heard last week, the grand puppy, it was fabulous. We actually did go to Disney for a bit, but I would not recommend it for Thanksgiving. It was so crazy. Some of the the ride time waits were, I think it was four hours for one of the rides. Um, We've been there a lot of times because my daughter works there, so we were not going to wait in that line, but it was still loads of fun. And I am super excited to welcome you back from the holiday with the very inspirational guest, Aaron Jones. Aaron and I met a few years ago at an event that we've both now spoken at for several years. Um, it's a week of staff development for the wonderful teachers at Cypress Fairbanks, uh, which is a suburb of Houston in Texas. Um, in fact, a group of us, including Aaron, are currently working on a book and a conference for female educators. I am pumped about that. She has such an amazing story. So I'm going to read her bio for you to know the professional Erin and all that she has done. And then we'll jump right into the interview for you to hear about the personal Erin and the inspirational advice she has for you. Erin Jones has been involved in and around schools for the past 26 years. She has taught in a variety of environments from predominantly black to predominantly white to some of the most diverse communities in the nation. Erin received an award as the most innovative foreign language teacher in 2007 and was the Washington State Milken Educator of the Year in 2008 while teaching in Spokane. She received recognition at the White House in March of 2013 as a champion of change and was Washington State PTA's Outstanding Educator in 2015. After serving as a classroom teacher and instructional coach, Erin worked as an executive for two state superintendents. She left the Office of Superintendent of Public Instruction in 2012 to work in college access at the school district level. She left her job to run as a candidate for state superintendent and was the first black woman to run for any state office in Washington state, a race she lost by only 1%. Erin has three adult children, and her husband of 25 years, James, is a teacher and football coach in North Thurston School District. Impressive, right? And wait till you hear the story that is the basis of all she does. I give you Erin Jones. I think I told you in the in the email. You know, I've heard you. I've heard you speak just like pieces and parts. Um, every people who are listening know now, by now how we've met. But I've heard you share like parts of your story, and then I've read some right. of your story. And and the thing that struck me the most is that what I've heard you say, and I've I've seen you you write it before. And you said the story. You said I, as a nine year old, became convinced 
that I could bring peace to Israel and Palestine. I was like, that is how we have to open our time together. Will you please tell us what you mean by that? <laughs> That's huge. It is a big deal. It's a big deal. Um, you know, I was really fortunate to have been abandoned at birth. That, that sounds like a really odd thing, but oh, I know gosh. that God's plan, God's plan for me was to not have me be raised by my biological parents. And, and I know a lot of people would tell that story in a different way, but I see, you know, God talks in the Bible about adoption. And I believe that he allowed me to experience physical adoption to better understand what he meant for us. And um, so I was adopted. And then my parents, who were both teachers, decided to take jobs overseas at the American School of The Hague, not knowing anything about it, really. So they randomly applied for jobs overseas. And we ended up at the United Nations World Court School, basically. Um, it's where the kids from state department go. It's where the kids who are sons and daughters of ambassadors go. And then there's me, this little black girl who was adopted by Scandinavian Americans from Northern Minnesota. <laughs> and Aaron. so here I am. I know it's crazy. Thought, you know, just, only God I, could write this story. <laughs> every time you say it, every time I hear you say it, I mean, you say it in different ways, but every time I'm just like, oh my gosh, you know? What a story, to, because it's so complex. And I know you won't have time today to share everything, but I definitely want people to keep up with you and, and follow you or have you speak or whatever, because it's such a complex story. So, um, so sorry. So they, so there you were. So there I am, this little girl who was once abandoned, who's biracial and black and white, but I, I look black. I got all my daddy in my hair. So I have this big Afro crazy You have gray hair. hair. <laughs> <laughs> I love my hair now, but I didn't love it as a kid. You know, it's hard when you're the only one with hair like yourself. And mm -hmm. um, so here I am in classrooms with kids who have very powerful parents who literally are running countries or they're making big decisions for countries. I'm sitting around the children of those people. And in my fourth grade class was the ambassador from Israel's daughter, Yael Ronan. And I just was drawn to her. And in fact, as a fourth grader, I had this fascination with um, Judaism. And I, even though I was raised in a Christian church, I really wanted to be Jewish. I was fascinated <laughs> by her culture. Wow. I really wanted to go to yeshiva, which you couldn't do, of course, because it was only for boys. And, um, but I was, I, I don't know what drew me there, but she fascinated me. Her family fascinated me. We became really close friends. And of course, in 1980, when I was in fourth grade was, kind of the height of the the war between Palestine and Israel. And mm -hmm. so there were regular bombings that were happening. But of course, this is also before internet and social media. So, oh, right. you know, if you a know, bomb went off, you know. That's an important right, point you to make really, because I think people forget, you know, you, someone who's listening, you just forget that. it's it, we, we think we always had internet. So it's a really important point. Right. And, and why that's important is because if a bomb went off in Jerusalem, then you may not find out about it until the next day in the newspaper. And even if you found out about the bomb the next day in the newspaper, you may not know for three or four more days who was affected, right? Mm -hmm. So who's, who's dead? Which town what exactly was it in? Who started the attack? Right. And so imagine being a fourth grade kid worried about your family and unsure if that bomb had consequences for you personally. I mean, we talk about trauma. This little girl, now that I look back, had to have been in some pretty major trauma 
just worried every day about her family back at home. Do you? And here I am, her friends watching her and just heartbroken for her family. And then I went to a PTA meeting with my parents and realized that not only was her father involved in our school, but the Palestinian ambassador had a child at our school as well. And well, so did, now, thank you. Sorry, go did, ahead. did you stay in touch with her at all? Over the I years? did not. Because, okay. no, because, you know, of course, back then without social media, there was right. no way to stay in touch other than writing letters. And letters often took two to three weeks to get. And it, it just was really complicated to stay in touch with people. And often these folks who are with state departments or ambassadors, they were traveling to other places. It just was really difficult to stay in touch. Yes. But what I realized um, as a nine-year-old meeting the, watching the Palestinian ambassador is that, wow, both of these countries are really hurting. And what if we could bring peace to both of them? Because now I didn't just care about my Israeli friends. I also cared about this little boy who was in the classroom down the hall who was from Palestine. And that's where I made this decision as a little nine-year-old kid. Like, I want to bring peace to the Middle East. And I <laughs> began to teach myself to speak Arabic and Hebrew at lunch. Wow. And I mean, it's a little crazy thinking about it now that as a nine-year-old, I was moved to do that. But, um, but I love that, language anyway. Isn't that so special, though, you know, to think that through the eyes of a nine-year-old that you were in the middle of this situation with these other children from these two countries and just to, to live in that. I mean, not many people have that experience. That no, and, you know, at the, yeah. And at the time that was so normal for me because of course I went to school with the ambassadors of Japan's students and Brazil and I mean all every continent of the globe and so for me the international connections were so normal mm -hmm. I didn't realize until I came back to college in 89 that what I had experienced was not what everyone else was experiencing because it's all I knew well and and from there so you you had these really unique experiences as a child um, which sounds like life was glorious, but you also talk about there came a point in your life. You said that you weren't, you don't think you were ever necessarily suicidal, but you were absolutely at the place where you thought, well, nobody's going to care if I'm around or not. How did you get to that place from, you know, this kid who, who's adopted into this wonderful world? How did you get to the place where you didn't think people would care if you were there? How did that happen? So, that was a really quick transformation. So I graduated high school, like number two in my class, superstar athlete, great musician, um, speaking four languages. Like I was at the top of my game when I graduated from high school. I was not socially, I wasn't popular at all as a kid socially, but I was a really strong student and a strong athlete and really involved in student government and all these other things. Um, and so I came to the United States for college on um, a pretty significant scholarship to Bryn Mawr, which is a, a women's Ivy League college. And really, it's not that I thought I was the greatest thing ever, but I was really confident when I came to the US and, and really expected to have the same kind of circle around me of people who were gonna be my champion. Because I never had a teacher that was not my champion. I was really blessed to have incredible teachers. And I think because my parents taught at my school, people were really invested in me and my success. So I had champions my entire life. And then I came to America thousands of miles from home. 
And, to a country that, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Can I just back up for one minute and ask? I, I'm not sure. I, you were abandoned and adopted. Were you a newborn infant? I, I mean, was. Well, I was. I was abandoned as a newborn. Um, I was adopted at about six months old in Minnesota, and then we moved to Europe. Okay, so all and you then ever I knew back was these parents. Was Minnesota. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. And, yeah. And, and all I knew about America was Minnesota. So, I mean, if you, any of your listeners know, Minnesota and the rest of the country are very different. Um, bunch of Scandinavians versus Philadelphia. Imagine coming to Philadelphia having not known anything about America. And it's one thing to read about America. It's a whole different thing to come to America. Um, and I knew a lot about American history. I knew a lot about American geography, probably more than most kids who were raised in America. But I didn't know anything about American culture, really, especially not East Coast culture, and especially not like the really rich community where my college was located. Um, it really did not like black people. <laughs> and it was the first time that I had ever been doubted for my skin color. Wow. It was the first time I experienced racism. And what year um, was and that? Then not, what year was 1989. that? 1989. And what was even harder, I think, about that experience for me is that even the, the women on my college campus who looked like me, I was not like them either. And they made it really clear that I didn't belong in their circles either. So I didn't belong with people who looked like me. And I didn't belong with the people that I had surrounded myself with through high school, um, mm. I, I had a lot of people on my college campus who assumed she's the tall black girl, she must be on scholarship here for sports, which I, I played two varsity sports in college, but I, I was there on an academic scholarship. And so it was the first time in my life that I experienced doubt and that I experienced people who literally didn't know anything about me but had already told my story in their heads. Mm. And it took about six months in this country for me to go from believing I could change the world to believing that I just should be invisible and should disappear. And you came by yourself, right? I did. I did. So my parents were across the ocean and I had a grandparent and uncles left in the United States, but my grandfather was still in northern Minnesota. My uncle and my cousins were all down in Phoenix, Arizona. So I had no contact with anyone. So this is this is kind of what brought you to this really down point in your life is that you you assumed that the world would care about you for you and then suddenly right. suddenly people were looking at you and treating you in a way that you've never experienced before. Absolutely. I remember the first time somebody called me the N-word oh, and I called yeah. I called my parents in Europe and I, my dad answered the phone and I said, dad, somebody just called me this word. And I, I don't, I mean, I think I know what it means, but I don't really know what it means. Can you explain it to me? And my poor Scandinavian dad had to try to come up with some words to explain why anyone would ever use that word to me. And I'll never forget him stumbling through words, trying to explain what it meant and then saying to me, but Aaron, that's not you. And, and I, I go back to, you know, when I was a little girl, my parents used to say, um, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And the reality is that's just not true. Words do hurt. And, and when you hear words enough, and I heard the N-word directed towards me probably at least once a month my freshman year of college. Mm. 
So I went from never hearing it before to suddenly hearing it almost once a month um, and in really negative ways. Um, it wasn't a term of endearment at all. It was um, pretty intentionally trying to belittle me. And, um, and I didn't have people around me to remind me who I was. I didn't have a church community. There was one church in our, in our um, college town and I was not welcome there. It was right next to the golf course that said no, no black people or Jews allowed here. Oh my God. Um, so I didn't have a church community either. And so I really was isolated. And um, one of the things I tell kids all the time is we have to be really careful to own our own stories and not let other people tell them. And that's easier said than done. But I think um, if I could go back to my 18-year-old self, I would tell her, you're enough, just as you are. And it doesn't matter what other people think about you. You are absolutely enough. Some people, you know, and I think that's great advice. And I know that especially for young people or or anyone, really, especially if you struggle at all with self-worth or uh, just guilt or perfectionism, how because you I'm hearing just you have this strong personality um how did you how were you able to tell yourself even later that you were enough how did you did did you have a circle of people at all did you find anyone in the college I'm asking you a million questions here I'm sorry did you you graduate there did you you know how did you get back up from this some people don't Aaron you know some people yeah no I would Take you know, that, that yeah. shouldn't be here thought further and they just that becomes who they are well one of my best friends committed suicide right after we graduated from college so i i know i i have seen that path as well and i would say for me the difference between me and her um we were both really successful light-skinned black women so we didn't fit in with a lot of the women the other black women on our college campus and we definitely didn't fit in with the white women on our campus so we kind of found each other we had both been raised around wealthy people who saw value in us Mm -hmm. and um, it was the first time in our lives that both of us experienced um, kind of the denigration of racism and she ended up making a choice that I didn't make. And I look, I have looked back at that often as I think about her and I thought, you know, it wasn't me that did anything. I know very clearly that God sent me to a basketball court at 18 years old. I was 18 right at the height of what I would say now is a depression and God brought me to a basketball court. I can't even tell you how I got there. I just started walking one day. I had just given up and I felt, this really weird, urgent sense that I needed to walk. And I ended up on a basketball court and I played basketball with a bunch of high school boys and um, a bunch of adult men. Was this on all black neighborhoods? Was this on your campus or you had, you were walking just around? Nope. It was um, definitely not on my campus because nobody played basketball. Um, It was, it was actually in the community about three towns outside of my college town where the hope lived. It's where the black people lived in small homes. Okay. who worked in the large white people mansions yeah. and um there's a famous nba star dr j who had built a basketball court right in the middle of that community it was his way to give back wow. and he happened to be playing there that day mm. and um 
saw me walking down the street and they needed one more player to play five on five and he called me over to play and i had no idea who this man was That's because i had not grown up in the united states but i was gonna ask you did but you know who he was but i guess you wouldn't i had no so embarrassing so uh when he left that day and i was asking everyone so who's this day person they all looked at me like i was an alien like how could you possibly not know who that is and i tried to explain to them where I was from and they didn't know where that was. And so it became this incredibly embarrassing event. But um, I got to play with Dr. J for an entire day. But he was not the one who saved me. It was actually um, three black high school boys who had dropped out of school and they began to share their stories with me about how school didn't care about them and their schools were broken down and they didn't have enough books or chairs. And their teachers often were not certified and didn't have college degrees. And so they had just dropped out and they had quit on life. And and I remember asking them, so what are you going to do with your lives if, if you're not going to get a high school diploma? And each boy said, I don't expect to live to be 21. Why would I care? And that was... That was what saved me. It was that statement from, from those young men that saved my life because I realized first of all, that God had made me black and white for a reason. He had made me in America and raised me in another country for a reason. He had made me a basketball player and a student for a reason. And I knew for the first time, oh my gosh, my parents have been changing the world for the last 35 years as teachers. I had never seen them that way. And, And I also realized I had been given this incredible gift of an amazing education. And I thought every kid got that. And I realized talking to these three boys, that's not true. Not every kid gets that, but that's what every kid deserves. And that was the day I found myself on that court. And I remind myself of that day almost every day. It's my reminder of my why. And I think when I talk to young people, I talk to adults, I tell them, if your why is big enough, even in your darkest hour, if you can go back to your why, it will carry you through. But you have to have a why that's big enough. And for some people, um, that's a hard thing to do because they haven't found a why yet. And um, one of the things that I did that year was I I read Psalm 139 every single day to myself before bed, every single day. I just was my reminder that this is what God thinks about me. This is what, and I had to just convince myself by reading those words over and over and over again. I'll put that scripture in the show notes for people to, to read, you know, and just just yeah and that's what i was going to ask you when you said you ask yourself you you remind yourself of your why every day do you still do that and how do you do like do you have do. do you have a set way to remind do you have something that you recite i mean i know you i know of course you've already said and we both are jesus following christians and we both believe in the bible and the power of prayer so i know that's part of it are are there other ways mm-hmm. that you remind yourself of that why every day so i yeah i wear nike every day and and that may sound silly but um the nike just do it campaign came out last year on labor day and and what the can and i have been an athlete for 48 years so mm-hmm. nike has been kind of part of my journey since i started playing basketball but when they came out with their campaign the phrase is believe in something so much that you're willing to sacrifice everything 
And so every day when I put on my Nike outfit and I have Nike dresses and Nike skirts and Nike sweats. And so I don't have just athletic stuff. I have professional stuff too. But every day when I put it on, it's my reminder. Okay, I'm sacrificing today for this reason. I'm sacrificing today for this reason. And so I think what I would say to anyone listening is that you have, each one of us has been given gifts. And some people have one really amazing gift and others have several, but really what you need to do is just use your gift to not only become your best self, but give it away. And that's where you'll find your purpose is in the giving away of that gift, not holding on to it, but giving it away and allowing it to grow other people. And that's where I found really my healing was in giving this gift away of um, being an educator. Oh. Give it, trying to give that away every day, trying to inspire somebody every day. That's, that's the way that I remind myself of my why is actually doing something with the gift that I've been given. That's a really powerful way to put that, that you gave it away. Like as a teacher, you give it away. And I have to, to tell the story of, so Aaron and I, um, I think I said this in the introduction, but Aaron and I have done some teacher training together um, for the past couple of years. And she came in this past year for a week long training and she was in, she was hobbling, you know, and I was like, oh my goodness. And so she had this injury and she's, and she, she had the Nike stuff on and she's just like hobbling through the halls. Um, so you are not going to let anything stop you. You're just, nope. you're going to, you're going to just nope. do it. But I was, I was thinking, you know, and I do want you to, in just a minute, you know, share some advice for, because you've experienced loss and rejection loss, not lost, loss, rejection, and abandonment. Um, and you basically talk about the fact that we all do. It, it can be small, it can be big, but we all do. And so I want you to, to talk a little bit about some advice, but I wanted to pull out one particular question because I think, so someone might be listening and they don't have that as strong of a personality um, of pushing through. And one of the things that you do talk about is growing as, as growing as a person and, and dealing with loss is surrounding yourself with, with mentors, right. people who are better than at certain things than you. And me, I, I just have to tell you, Aaron, for me, there's this part that kind of like goes, <gasps> and I, and I try that and I do that, but sometimes it's yeah. hard because of that self-esteem thing. And when you surround yourself with people who are better, which we all know is good, then it can make you feel worse. What would you say to those people? Cause that's a big part of your path. It is. It is. And, I, you know, I think for me, I have a unique journey as an athlete. Um, you know, as an athlete, you'll never get better if you don't surround yourself with better people. Like Ooh. when I trained for the WNBA, I actually trained. Um, I was the oldest woman to try out for the WNBA when I tried out. I was 29 years old. And I trained with, against um, a 20-year-old boy who was six foot seven. So I am not six foot seven. Ah. Um, <laughs> And I had already had two children. So, I mean, this was like intense, but I knew, and my coach knew, like the only way you're going to get better, Erin, is if you push yourself against somebody who's bigger, faster, stronger. And I think as an athlete, I mean, that's just the only, it's the only way to get better. There's no way that you can't get better on your own in a gym. Like you, there's only certain things you can do. And so I think the challenge is always, um, and I just said this to a group of kids at a, a Ukrainian church two nights ago, the challenge I think for us, especially in this season with social media, is we spend so much time comparing ourselves to one yes. another 
that that it's it's really that's so dangerous comparison i think is the most dangerous thing and we have to fight that comparison all the time and so one of the things i tell people all the time is you are never going to be someone else's best self you can mm. only be your best self and so you need to stop trying to be someone else's pretty someone else's strong someone else's fast when you surround yourself with mentors realize that they're going to be better at you in some things, but, but guess what? Here's what I believe. I believe you will be better than them in other things. And so yeah. we just, we have to realize there's enough greatness to go around for everyone. And God is made there? each one of us uniquely amazing. That's, that is such a good point. There, so just because someone else is better than you does not mean that that has sucked up that greatness and you can't get Absolutely. any of it. Right. And that's, I think part of the lie that we've been told, I think especially in America, because I've, you know, I've lived in, in two other countries, I've traveled to 14 countries now, it's a lie that we tell in America that there's only so much. And mm -hmm. so if there's only so much, then once somebody gets a piece of the pie, it means that's less for me. I just don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe in scarcity. I believe in plenty. And I believe that there's more than enough for all of us. And so you know, I celebrate when someone else gets something because I know my time's coming too at some point. And so, you know, I would encourage each one of us when one of our friends or colleagues gets an award or has something great happen to them, celebrate with them because your season is coming. Yes. I think we get, we, especially as women, we mm -hmm. get so competitive and, oh my gosh, if my girlfriend got this, then, oh, I just am angry, angry with her. I should have yes. gotten that instead of, you know, my time's coming and then she can celebrate with me. Yes. And it, it's important, don't you think, too, to when you get because you when you're when, when someone has gotten something that maybe you wanted or in the same arena where you work and live and play, then then you have before you even realize you're having the thought, you have this sort of rush of adrenaline and this. And so yeah. don't you think it's important to stop in the moment and try to get yeah. in touch with what? Yeah. What did you just think? Did you think you weren't good? Yeah. Did you, what did you think? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. We got to check it. You know, the little foxes, it talks in the Bible about the little foxes spoil the vine. It's often not the big things. It's the little things and it's the little thoughts that we have. And I think what I've become pretty skilled at in the last probably 10 years is really nipping it in the bud. So as soon as I start thinking the thought or feeling the feeling to just check myself and say, you know what? I just don't believe that. I've cast that out. I don't, I don't receive that. That is not true. And just check myself, right? Or else we let it fester. And yes. then it becomes bitterness and doubt. And then it destroys us. And, and all of that is basically rooted, at least for what we're talking about today, is this whole, you know, loss, rejection, abandonment. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit, if you would, about some other, because I just think that was a big one, really, allowing people in your world to help mentor you and grow you. And I wanted people to hear you talk about how you might be able to do that, even if it makes you feel kind of weird. You just got to push through and, and change that thought and know that you're good and know that this is going to grow you. Right. What are some other pieces right. of advice that you would have for someone who's experienced any of this loss, rejection, abandonment? What If you were so, sitting with them, what would you tell them? So I think our... our just human nature is that when we lose something or we are abandoned by someone, a person, um, we tend to isolate ourselves. And that is actually the exact opposite thing that we need to do. You need to get with people. And so what I would encourage is if you find yourself isolating yourself, if you find yourself, um, even when you've been abandoned by someone else, then taking yourself out of society, 
you need to get yourself back in, whether that's joining a Bible study, whether it's joining a mom's group, whether it's joining some sort of club. You don't have to be an athlete to join a gym. Mm-hmm. And if you're not comfortable going to like a 24-hour fitness, find a women's gym somewhere. Get around people because that's where that stuff gets destroyed. When we isolate ourselves, what happens is we end up swimming in our negative thoughts. And that does destroy us. And it's not how we're meant to be as humans. We were not designed to be on our own. We were designed to be in community. And so my greatest suggestion to people and how I got out of my depression is I started going to a church. My my boss at at college um, invited me to church and I began to go with her and just having that community. And I didn't always talk to everybody, but I was surrounded by other people. And it just helped kind of snap Mm -hmm. me out of, the fog that I was in. And I think too often when we get upset with ourselves, we can stay in our room and just watch Netflix videos and yeah. and that never is good. We got to get out of that. And that so I would isolate. encourage you to. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Awesome. No, I was just going to say, find a place. Yeah. Yeah. Because that isolation for you, when you were at that point where even though it was short lived, thank God, you know, that God pulled you through that, that, well, who would care if I was here? If you were always constantly isolated, then that's the only voice talking to you is you, right? as opposed to having a group of people in a church and things like that. Okay. So I love that. So don't isolate yourself. Um, Anything else? Um, You know, find, I have never had a big circle of friends. So I've always had kept my circle pretty tight and I'm, I'm careful who gets my energy and whose energy I receive. So be really cautious and careful about who you allow to be in your presence um, because we also feed off the energy of other people. And so if you're around other people who are competitive and petty and condescending and judgmental, you will receive that. And so, you know, I tell people all the time, just because we're asked even as Christians to love people doesn't mean that I have to spend time around people that are toxic. Right. And so if you're in a, in a tough place in your life, then don't feel any obligation to spend more time around those people. I mean, there are seasons of life where you need to just separate yourself from, from people who are toxic. And, and so be really careful about who you allow to have your energy. I have a rule for myself and I share this with students almost every time I talk to students is some people really just don't deserve your energy. And mm-hmm. we get so caught up in, in pleasing people that really don't care about us, um, trying to make people feel happy who don't have our best interests at heart. And that can only lead down a negative path. You know, that what I really, really love about what you just said is the word allow. Um, because I think two of the most, I've, I talk about this a lot, is two of the most destructive phrases that we use are I can't and I have to. You know, yeah. no, I, I, yeah. I can't in that relationship. I can't, you know, no, I have to go and be with blah, blah, blah. And it's just right. so debilitating. So the word yeah. allow, yeah. amazing. I love it. Those are really good things. And I don't want to cut you off if you have, I do have one or two other short little questions to ask you. Um, was there something else you were going to go to or those were some pretty. Yep, go ahead and ask. Yeah. Go ahead and ask more questions. Well, I was just wondering, um, this goes back, you know, to your, to your beginnings. I wondered if you ever had any contact with your biological parents. I don't know if that's too personal. I have had to ask. zero. Yeah. I have zero contact with them. And 
In fact, my I have one sheet of paper about my biological parents. I know that my father was black and he was 60 years old when I was born and he had eight years of college in 1971. As of 1971, imagine this. In the United States, a black man with eight years of college. Um, and then my mother was a white woman and she was 20 when I was born and she had no college. So it's really interesting. I tell people I am a disruptor of narratives. So you would think with the narratives that we tell in this country that my white mother would be the educated one and my black father would be uneducated, but it was actually the opposite way around. Um, but I assume I'm 48 now, so he would have to be superhuman to still be alive. So I'm assuming he is gone. Um, and I have no idea where she is. And I really have never had any desire to reach out to them. My adoptive parents are so incredible that I just have been really fulfilled in my relationship with them. Well, that's, that's the other question I wanted to ask you too, is about, about your parents and are they, are they here in the States? Um, what, just tell us how, and they must be so proud of you and it sounds they like are. <laughs> so supportive over the years. So where are they? So they lived in the Netherlands for 20 years after I decided to stay in America. I got married in the U S in 1993 and they came back to visit me for that um, and then came back once a year, once or twice a year to visit with me. But they lived in the Netherlands until 10 years ago. So I was here literally in this country, well, with my husband, but without my Gosh. parents for 20 years, which is a really tough thing. That's a, wow. you know, and it's not, it's not just like a two hour flight away. They were nine hours away from me time zone. So it was about a 15 hour flight from mm -hmm. me where I live now but they live 10 minutes from me now so oh. when I ran for office my, my parents would drive me um, to a lot of events so we spent a lot of time together I don't see them as often as I would like to now because I'm on the road a lot but I try to swing by on my way home from events as often as I can and they got a chance to be around my kids through middle school and high school so pretty awesome wow well they they are certainly blessed to have gotten you and you were blessed to have been with them that's who god meant you to be with so absolutely <laughs> well thank you aaron for sharing your story um you had some questions um i think i mentioned earlier that aaron and i are also working several of us on co-authoring a book and there were a few questions that you put in there can i read them sort of to end up sure. our time together because i thought sure. these, these were really good questions that aaron has written um, that I that I think help you when you think about dealing with any loss in your life and she says where do you have opportunities to reframe your losses where have you allowed struggle and failure to paralyze you what new stories can you rehearse in your mind about your potential for the future which is such a great question and what can you do to be more intentional about surrounding yourself with people who believe in you and will help you become the best version of yourself and Aaron I think you live all of that out and I know people are, are going to want to, um, I don't know, we'll look, you can send me social media links or what, however you want people to stay in touch with you or bring you in to speak. I will put all of that in the show notes. Sound good? Awesome. I am on every social media outlet <laughs> there is except for Snapchat. I don't do Snapchat terrifies me, so I don't do Snapchat. But yeah. Um, yeah. I will send you all the links and people can, the best way to reach me is to just message me on any of the social media apps. I check them every day. And um, I love sharing my story with young and old. Um, my vision for my life is to use everything 
that God has allowed me to go through to bless other people, to help them become their best selves. And so however I can do that, I am open to, to those opportunities. Amen. Well, you are fabulous. Thank you so much. And I know we will be talking soon. Thanks, Aaron. Okay. Sounds great. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. And sadly, that's our time for today. I hope you were inspired today, both for yourself and for others who might need your specific skill set, your gifts to help them in this world. I have learned a great deal from Aaron, and I know you did too. So please pass the show link along to a friend or two and subscribe, download, and review wherever you are listening. And head over to TammyWest.com to get information if you would like for me to speak at your next event. And you will also find the promised contact information and links for Aaron. I would love for you to follow me on Facebook, my primary social media home, at Facebook.com slash Seminars. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and growing our special community. And finally, remembering our mental and emotional well-being goal. I hope that you will renew your thoughts daily, adopt empowering language that prevents verbal harm to yourself and to others, and make positive mental and emotional choices every single day of your wonderful life. And until we're together next time, consider yourself 